Good morning, family of God. It's a joy once again to study the scriptures with you. And today we are continuing our study of the biblical theme of the spirituality of the wilderness. Now, in the Bible, the wilderness is frequently talked about just as a literal place, a dry, lonely place that's hard for human beings to survive in. But the Bible also uses the wilderness as a symbol for a spiritual reality of struggle, pain, temptation, and loneliness, which is a part of the spiritual existence. Now, sometimes we talk about wilderness seasons, by which we mean particularly hard times in our life. But actually, the Bible uses the the theme of the wilderness to talk about all of human life, and in particular, all of Christian life, from the moment in which we trust in Jesus to the moment in which we enter into the peace of heaven and the peace of God's new creation. So, in one sense, all of us are in the wilderness all of the time. Last week, we introduced this theme by talking about God in the wilderness. And we looked about uh, we looked at a story in which the prophet Elijah really went through a time of failure and weakness and struggle and ran away and found himself in the literal wilderness. And in that wilderness, God met him with grace and taught Elijah, transformed Elijah, strengthened Elijah. Now, today we're going to build on that, but we're going to kind of look at this from the, the opposite angle. Last week we talked about God in the wilderness. Today we're going to talk about the devil in the desert. In the scriptures, the wilderness is a place of temptation and spiritual struggle, and sometimes it's a place associated associated with these mysterious evil forces that the Bible refers to when it talks about the devil and demons. And so today we're going to look specifically at the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, and this is going to remind us that the wilderness is a place where we can experience grace, but one of the ways that God uses the wilderness is by forcing us to confront our own demons, our own temptation, our own weakness, so that we can learn to rely upon His grace and to draw strength to actually overcome evil in the world and in our own hearts. So that's such an important and, and, and beautiful theme in the Bible. Today, as we look at the story of temptation, the temptation of Jesus, we're going to look at how uh, the Gospel of Luke tells this story. In Luke chapter 4, in a moment I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 13, But before I do that, I just want to say from the beginning, here's the main point of the story. And the main thing I want you to take away from today, I'm I'm giving you my main point right now at the beginning of the sermon. And the main point is this, Jesus succeeds where every human being has failed. When Adam was tested, Adam and Eve were tested and tempted by the devil, they failed. They gave in to the power of evil. When The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness being tempted. They gave in to evil. Even great heroes of the scriptures like Moses and Elijah failed. They sinned. They were weak and they gave in to temptation. But Jesus succeeds. For that matter, you and I have all failed. When we've been confronted with evil and temptation, all of us have at times given in. We've participated in the evil and destructive forces of the world. But Jesus is victorious over the devil. And that's really good news for us because the gospel 
tells us that we can share in the victory of Jesus. So as I read this story in a moment, here's what I want you to hear. God loves you and Jesus, the Son of God, entered into human history to confront evil and to bear the weight of evil for you and for me. So that when we trust in Jesus, by God's grace, we can be forgiven and we can be reconciled to God and to share in the victory of Jesus. Not only that, but we can receive strength from Jesus so that when we're tempted in the wilderness, we actually can, can learn not to give in to the forces of evil, but to live with humility, integrity, courage, patience, wisdom, justice, love, faithfulness, and hope like Jesus did. So that's the encouragement from the beginning of this story. We've all failed in the wilderness, but Jesus succeeded so that by grace we can share in his victory. Now, let me read the story to you, and then we'll take a few minutes to unpack it together. Luke 4, verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For forty days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of God. Well, I want to look at this story with you from four angles. First, I want to talk about the characters in this story. Second, I want to talk about the setting in this story. Third, I want to talk to you about the nature of the spiritual struggle that we see in this story. And then finally, I want to talk about what, how this story can radically transform the way that we live our lives today. So first, let's talk about the characters we meet three characters in the first two verses here in this story. Let's look, look at it again. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. So there's two. One, the person of Jesus. Two, the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. So let's talk about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the devil. Now, to understand what's happening here when Luke describes Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it's really helpful to talk about two theological words 
that are summarizing a huge amount of biblical teaching. Those words, I'll put, put them on the screen. They're the words Trinity and Incarnation. And I want to say to you, these, these are maybe challenging words, but if you'll take some time to understand these two words, it'll really help you to understand so much about what's going on as you read the Bible. First, let's talk about this word Trinity. The word Trinity just means three in one. And there's so much that we could say about the doctrine of the Trinity. We can't say it all right now, but let's just say a few basic things. The whole Bible teaches over and over that there is only one God. God is one. And there's one God who created the whole world. There's one God who is the only Savior of humankind. And the one God rules the whole world, and we worship this one God. So the Lord God is one. But the Bible also teaches that this one God eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons in one God. Now again, there's much more that we could say about this, but the simple thing I want you to hear right now is that thinking about the doctrine of the Trinity helps us to go much deeper into understanding, for example, what 1 John chapter 4 means when it says twice, God is love. You see, for eternity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has been love. The Father has loved and delighted in the Son. Father, Son, Holy Spirit have been perfectly joyful, perfectly satisfied in one another from all eternity, which means when God created the world, God was not motivated by some need or some lack or some loneliness in God. God has never been lonely. God has always enjoyed the fellowship of, of love of the Trinity, three persons in one God. So when God creates the world, this is the radical grace and generosity of God. God actually creates and redeems human beings so that we can share and the joy and the fullness and the love that he has always enjoyed. Now, we can build on this reality of the Trinity with our second word, the word incarnation. And the word incarnation is referring to the fact that the, the Son of God, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, became flesh and dwelt among us, which is how John chapter 1 verse 14 expresses this reality that the Son of God took upon himself a human nature, a human body, and a human rational soul, so that Jesus is one person in two natures. He is fully God, and he's also fully human now, since he entered into human history, and uh, yet the two are united in one person. Now, it's really hard to wrap our heads around what exactly that means or how that could be. But what's so beautiful here is that means when you look at the face of Jesus, the Savior of the world, you at one and the same time see the prototype of authentic humanity. If you want to know what it means to be truly human, look at Jesus, at his love, his humility, his courage, his compassion. But second of all, as you look at Jesus, you're seeing the image of the invisible God, the radiance of the glory of God, which means if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus and you find the clearest self-revelation of God. Now, in this story, we're looking at the incarnate son, Jesus, the son of God, and the son is being led by the Holy Spirit 
the second person of the Trinity, out into the wilderness. Now that's where we confront the devil, our third character. From the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, uh, we find this mysterious character called Satan or the devil or the tempter. He's referred to as a serpent or as a dragon. And the devil is a sort of personal embodiment of the anti-God, destructive, chaotic forces of evil that are opposed to God, opposed to God's word, and opposed to the peace and joy of God's creation. The devil was a destroyer. Now, Christian theology looks at all these, this, these biblical references to the devil and says that the devil must have been a fallen angel, an angel created good by God, who then abuse the gift of free will in order to rebel against God. And now the devil and his demons are interacting in human history behind the scenes. Now, what we don't want to do uh, is blame our own sin, or our own evil on the devil. We don't want to say the devil made me do it. We need to take seriously our own choices, our own free will and our own responsibility. We also need to take seriously the fact that human psychology and human economic and political structures and the physical reality of, of the world has all been marred by evil. But while we're taking all of that seriously, the Bible also asks us to take seriously this mysterious transcendent force of evil in human history, which Jesus is confronting in this story. So those are the characters, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and the devil. Now let's talk about the setting of this story. The story happens in the wilderness. And I'm going to put on the screen a slide that we introduced last week. I want you to see how these biblical characteristics of the wilderness are present in this story. Jesus is clearly in a situation of isolation. He's cut off from the comforts of human society. The story emphasizes that Jesus is physically weak and hungry and vulnerable. In this story, we find Jesus praying to his Father and being led by the Holy Spirit. And we find this is a story of spiritual struggle and temptation. We mentioned last week that the wilderness is also a place of grace and transformation and renewal, which doesn't feel quite right to say about Jesus in this story because Jesus didn't need to uh, be transformed from sinful into righteous. He has always been completely sinless. And yet, the scriptures clearly teach that the human nature of Christ learned obedience and grew in wisdom. And this is clearly depicted as a scene of preparation for the public ministry of Jesus. So, that's the setting here. Let's talk about the nature of the spiritual conflict here. The devil is, is tempting Jesus. Now, uh, St. Gregory the Great preached about the temptation of Jesus, and he made a distinction that I think is really helpful for us. He said, when we talk about temptation, we can talk about three levels. The level of suggestion, in which the thought comes into our mind, I could do this bad thing. The second level is the level of delight. That's the level in which in our hearts we're moved towards that bad action. We say yes. And then the third level is the level of consent, and when we actually act on it. So if you think about a sin like hatred or revenge, or you think about a sin like lust, first the thought might come into our minds, 
I could hurt this person to get back on them. Or I could commit this sexual, lustful, sinful act. And then there's a level in which in our hearts we say, yes, we give in to the hatred. Or we give in to lustful thoughts. At that point, we've sinned. And then the third level is we actually act on it, in which we move further into the sin. Now it's clear that uh, Jesus never enters into delighting in evil. God cannot delight in evil. And he never moves into this level of sin. And yet the devil is here suggesting these outcomes. And to help us understand what the devil is suggesting, it's important to notice uh, three or two things about, about the text. First, every temptation here is connecting the experience of Jesus to the experience of Israel in the wilderness. And everywhere that Israel failed is where Jesus succeeds. Now, this has shown us in a lot of different ways. Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. Uh, in the wilderness, the people of Israel grumbled against God because they were hungry. And they did not trust God to sustain their life. And now the devil tempts Jesus with this temptation uh, of turn the stones into bread. In other words, move out and use your power to satisfy the needs of your body instead of continuing in this spiritual discipline of fasting that the Holy Spirit has led you into and relying upon God to strengthen you. Israel felled when they were tempted in this way, but Jesus succeeds. Uh, not only that, but Israel worshipped false gods in the wilderness. And Jesus refuses to worship the devil. He says, no, only worship God. Not only that, but uh, Israel tested God in the wilderness. But Jesus refuses to test God in the wilderness. So everywhere that Israel fells, Jesus is succeeding. Which means he's the one who's qualified to lead us into the promised land. In fact, every time Jesus... Uh, quotes the scriptures he's quoting from a section in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 8 which is all about the failures of Israel and yet Jesus is winning the victory second thing to say here is that each one of these temptations of the devil are tempting Jesus to disobey his father and to try to fulfill his ministry vocation in a way that does not involve the path of humility suffering, self-giving love that leads to the cross. Okay? The devil is tempting Jesus to take the easy way out. But Jesus says, no, I'm submitting to my Father. I'm being led by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to faithfully walk down a path of humility and love which fulfills my calling to save the world on God's terms. It's going to be a patient, difficult, painful way. But that's the way of obedience, which is the way of victory and joy and salvation and life. Every time the devil suggests this to Jesus, I've already said Jesus doesn't give in for a second, even in his heart, but he counters the temptations of evil with the word of God. Every time he quotes the scriptures. So he's doing battle through the spiritual disciplines of prayer, fasting, silence, solitude, and meditating on the scriptures. And through these spiritual disciplines, we see him modeling for us a life of victory in which we don't give in to evil, but we're victorious and, and we continue on a path of love and a path of faithfulness to God. Now, 
I want to step back and ask the question, what does this have to do with us? And the answer is, this has everything to do with us. The good news of the gospel is that by God's grace, we can share in the victory of Jesus. Jesus never gave in to temptation for a second. He overcame evil. And yet on his cross, he, he took on himself all of our evil and all of its consequences. He bore the burden of our guilt in his death. And then he rose victoriously from the grave. And the Bible teaches that as we trust in Jesus in our hearts and publicly confess our faith in Jesus through baptism, that God by his grace just takes that simple, that simple faith and, and he credits it to us as righteousness. That means he forgives our sin. He brings us back into a relationship of peace with himself. And he promises that by grace, he's going to lead us through the wilderness of this life into the promised land of entering into the presence of Jesus in heaven and then ultimately in the new creation. But there's a second implication here. Not only can we share in the victory of Jesus by being forgiven of our sins, but also when we trust in Jesus and rest in his grace, we actually experience a union with Christ by which we draw strength from God so that we can practically, day to day, live out victory against the devil. Now, we're never going to be as strong as Jesus until the day in which we stand before Jesus and see him face to face and our souls are made perfect. In this life, um, the, the Christian life is a life of continual humility and repentance from sin. But there's a reality that we can live lives of courage and humility of love and love. And that's going to involve practically drawing on the strength and grace of God through a practice of spiritual disciplines. Now, I want to pause right here because sometimes when Christians hear the word spiritual disciplines, that like sends off alarm bells and we think, uh oh, this is about to be legalism. I'm about to hear a list of duties, a list of things that I have to do so that God will love me and I can have peace with God. And I want to help you relax right now. It would be heresy if I gave you a list of things that you have to do for God to love you. God already loves you. God already loves you. And if you've trusted Christ, you already have peace with God. So I'm not going to tell you a list of things that you need to do in order to be loved by God or to be, have peace with God. But I, what I am going to do is to tell you a list of discipleship habits, spiritual disciplines that Jesus modeled for us and taught us it, that are kind of like opening up a pipeline for God's grace to come and transform us. So this is just the practical outworking of our response to God's grace. Now, there are many ways that we could talk about spiritual disciplines, but I want to put on the screen for a second an illustration that you might find helpful. I need to give two quick shout-outs here. This illustration comes from Pastor Pete Scazzaro. I've slightly adapted something that Pastor Pete did as part of his work um, in, in the Emotionally Healthy Leadership podcast and the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality curriculum that he has created. So I'll put a link to Pastor Pete for you. But uh, my, my wife Candace drew this slightly modified version of Pastor Pete's illustration. Um, so I want to give her a shout out as well. Let me briefly explain this to you as we conclude our time. You'll notice at the center of the screen, 
we see the word God's love. And we find a reference to John 15, verse 9. And that's a verse in which Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now what that means is this. If we've trusted in Christ, we've been united to Him in a way that opens us up so that we come to experience the eternal, unbreakable love with which God the Father has loved God the Son. We share in the life and love of the Trinity. When Jesus says abide in that love, he's calling us to a practical life of faith, discipleship, obedience, which is a life of joyful worship in which we celebrate God's love. But we learn to do it through this sort of dance. We learn to dance to the tune of God's redemption song. We need to learn the steps. We need to learn the rhythm of discipleship. Now, these four quadrants that you see on your screen represent four ways in which we can build a rhythm of life that help us stay connected to God's grace. In the left corner, you see the word prayer. And and Pastor Pete and I are using the word prayer in the broadest possible sense of bringing our souls to God. So that could really include um, any any number of spiritual disciplines that we might think of as devotional disciplines, things like getting on our knees to pray, praying the Psalms. Really, we need to connect prayer to the Scriptures, meditating on God's Word, reading God's Word. Spiritual disciplines like fasting and journaling could fit in here, those devotional exercises. To the right of prayer, we see relationships. And Jesus emphasized loving relationships between human beings to such a huge degree. And I want to say to us as followers of Jesus, if if you prioritize having healthy, loving relationships with your friends, with your family, with neighbors, those things are not a distraction from the spiritual life. They are an essential part of the spiritual life. I want to encourage you to make time to nurture healthy, loving relationships with the people who are close to you and see that as an expression of your worship, a continuation of your life of prayer. And then in the bottom, we see two quadrants here, work and rest. Work means any kind of creative activity that we're doing to make the world better. And that includes paid work, but also unpaid work like household chores. And the Bible teaches that this work can be an expression of faith and worship for the glory of God. But we need to balance out work with a life of rest in which we build into our lives the Sabbath principle that God is going to take care of us. So while we enjoy creative work that blesses people and honors God, we also receive the gift of rest in which we don't do things because we ought to do them. We just do them because we want to. We want to delight in God's good gifts and in God's creation in a way that leads us to worship Him. Now what I want to encourage you to do this week is take a few minutes to pray and ask God, what practical things can I build into my schedule in each of these categories to develop healthy spiritual habits that keep me connected to the grace of Jesus so that I have strength to overcome the forces of evil? I will say, if you're married, and especially if you have children, you need to do this with your spouse as a community project because you'll need to help each other have time and space Uh, to make room for each of these different areas of our lives. And if you're single, you still don't have to do this in isolation. I want to encourage you to to reach out to some trusted friends or mentors who can help you discern 
what spiritual practices you can build into your life. Now, I want to end today by reminding you, if we have the best habits in the world, that that is not going to be sufficient for us to win the battle against evil and overcome the devil if we're doing it in our own strength. So really, these spiritual habits that I just described to you are simple uh, ways of opening ourselves up to the grace of God, which gives us strength. Now, let me say a prayer for you today. Our Father in heaven, I thank you so much for everyone who's watching this video. I pray that you would strengthen us by grace. Help us to trust in you. We thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus. And I pray that we would more and more appropriate that victory in the way that we live every day for your glory and for the good of our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen.